0: The Forward Together podcast from Hollywell Trust with Paul Gosling and Gerard Dean.
1: Hello and welcome to the Forward Together podcast. My name is Gerard Deane, joined as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, great to see you. Hi Gerard. So this podcast is produced by Hollywell Trust and it's funded through the Community Relations Council. And we're based at the heart of Derry. This is a conversation on four key issues. Increasing the civic voice, creating a shared are more shared and integrated society, dealing with the past and addressing the constitutional question. And we do this through a range of interviews and conversations led up by Paul with political and civic leaders. And Paul, for this conversation you met with Anthony Russell.
2: That's right. And Anthony, for people who aren't familiar with him, is from the board of the Thomas Darcy McGee Foundation, which is based in Mm Newry. So it's geographically from a different part of Northern Ireland than most of the uh, the interviews, which tend to be from the big cities. Mm. And I thought Anthony was actually very interesting.
1: Yeah, I suppose the thing that strikes me about the conversation you had with Anthony was history and the importance of the story here and how we must remember to learn from our long history. That's right.
2: And I think it's fair to say, you know, the quality of the recording wasn't great. Yeah. So listeners are going to have to bear with it a bit. But I mean, it is well worth listening to Anthony because he is saying something which is quite different from any of the other interviewees. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in the sense that he disagrees with what they're saying, but he comes at it from a different point of view. He comes from it for, as a historian yeah. and as a historian of events in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. And what he's saying is, yes, we we, we must learn from history Um, and, you know, not just recent history, but long term history. So, you know, I was very taken by him talking about the linkages between the experience of Catholics and Presbyterians and and the fact that those communities historically had
1: linkages and Mm. worked with each other. And, you know, some of these things have been lost in more recent t- times. Yeah, I suppose that's reflected on, and Anthony refers to the civic nationalism approach and the, and the resurgence, if you like, of the, the broader nationalist conversation. And he says there's a real need for that to be reflected in the Protestant Union's loyalist com- uh, community as well. Yeah. And I'm sure that a lot of people would would, would recognize
2: that. I mean, civic nationalism has has recognized perhaps it's a a sense of the nationalist community looking to the future with optimism, whereas unionism perhaps tends to look to the past with regret. Mm. And because of those different psychological dynamics, you don't have the same move towards a civic unionist uh, forum that you have in terms of the strength of what we've seen in civic nationalism and the, in particular the events at the Waterfront Hall a yeah. few months ago. So, yeah, you know, it's quite different, uh, interesting. And I, I think there needs to be, and a lot of people are saying this, there needs to be a meeting of civic nationalism with civic unionism in order to make progress yeah. and to, to solidify what has
1: been achieved. Yeah, Anthony also takes a different approach in that he... Describe some of this as ethnic division as well as just the traditional or how we perceive it along religious lines, if you like.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's, it is certainly a different take. Um, and yeah, he, he, the the parallel he gives is, you know, the experience of the the, the breakup of the Soviet Union and the breakup of uh, the former Yugoslavia, uh, which I think is uh, at the very least a, a warning signal to us. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting to to see things
1: in an ethnic term a terminology rather than necessarily a religious terminology. OK, well, let's hear the interview with Anthony now. And again, a warning, sound warning. This was recorded in a noisy cafe. And Anthony has important things to say, but as a softly spoken individual. But bear with it. it. It is worth listening to the conversation.
2: How do we strengthen civil society in ways that enable us to make progress?
0: An interesting question. I assume by civil society you mean the North, and by that you mean... Uh, the, the two communities.
2: Oh, well, partly.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm thinking
2: cross-border um, because, yes, we have specific challenges in Northern Ireland. A lot of those challenges affect communities on both sides of the border. Um, and I'm trying to suggest an open question about however we see civil society. Uh,
0: well, I think civil society has been moving as you know, in the past, when the Unionists peered over the border into the south, they saw exactly what they predicted a uh, hundred years ago, when they predicted uh, a priest-ridden free state, uh, and that came to pass under de Valera when it became a republic. But of course, Southern society has changed enormously. Uh, it has become much, much more liberal. The uh, power of the Catholic Church has been weakened. Uh, I think particularly from a Unionist merchant point of view, uh, the fact that the Celtic tiger roared and then, of it fell back a bit, but it's uh, it has recovered to a, a large uh, extent. I think unionists admire that. Uh, so I would be hopeful that uh, unionists looking over the border are now more attracted towards the, uh, the society in the south, uh, even though it is probably now too liberal uh, for them. Uh, I also think that within the north, within Northern Ireland, the uh, civic changes that are taking place there uh, have been going on since the Free Education Act of 1947 uh, the rise of the Catholic community particularly the rise of the Catholic middle class the spatial expansion of the Catholic middle class in Belfast uh, especially around uh, the Queen's University Armour Road Malone Road area uh, despite the Uh, apparent lack of uh, noticing it on behalf of the DUP. Uh, I think that the Unionist community is very well aware that geographically and demographically that change is happening and they will have to accommodate that and that of course puts a major responsibility on the nationalist Republican community to be generous uh, in their response.
2: But what we have got in the South is the Citizens' Assemblies which were Instrumental achieving uh, something approaching consensus over changes on social policy, whereas the Civic Forum in the North failed to uh,
0: to continue. It died. So, what do we learn from that experience? I think we well, we had an example of it uh, in the uh, Waterfront Hall not so long ago, when Catholic civil society or nationalist civil C- civil society got together uh, and thought that they should get their house in order before they approach the Unionist House. And, of course, that is just symptomatic of uh, any approach to any problem in the north of Ireland, you're going to have to approaches, uh, And the challenge is to combine those two approaches so that society as a whole moves forward. And does that mean we
2: just say it's not possible to bring those different communities together? Or do we say that there needs to be a different way of doing it?
0: I think we have to recognise, and the... Uh, The voters have recognised it for us that there are two ethnic communities here uh, and we should not underestimate the power of ethnicity. Uh, I always refer to the Soviet Union and Yugoslavia. You had 60 years of a dominant totalitarian regime. Once it was peeled back, the first thing that bubbled to the surface was ethnicity. And We'd be very foolish in the north of Ireland to ignore just how deep uh, ethnicity is and uh, we may not like it. Uh, But any problems we have uh, have to be approached, uh, recognising that we have two very, very distinct communities here. And what does that mean in practice in terms
2: of moving forward though in civil society? Uh,
0: In practice it means uh, not doing what we're doing at the moment, uh, and that is we have two blocks which are intent on maximising the power of that ethnicity. Uh, i suppose that's inevitable we saw that when Sinn fein came within 1200 votes of the, the unionist parties uh, i think the next election was up It was tens of thousands between the two uh, people were not voting on dup economic policy obviously uh, they weren't voting on Sinn fein economic policy it was just the uh, they were voting t- to the dumb beat. and that again come back to what i was trying to say is fundamental to any solution uh, dealing with that is fundamental in any solution. However, having said that, I know from talking to the Protestant community, the Unionists, that they are aware underneath the, the No around facade, which uh, is appears to be their state of Brexit, they are aware of the demographic changes, of the geographical changes, uh, and I think they are much more prepared to talk uh, and to compromise and to listen and ask to be listened to Uh, than they ever were previously.
2: And although you talk about two communities, of course, I mean, Northern Ireland is now increasingly more than two communities because there are people who would not identify as either Protestants or Catholics or either Unionists or Nationalists. I mean, so how do people from those other backgrounds fit in within a a more effective civic society?
0: Well, I I think there's probably two elements in response there. One is we're talking about the people who are coming in Uh, into our community. Uh, I think uh, uh, that generally uh, they will be more sympathetic to the nationalist cause than to the unionist cause. Uh, And I think as they develop and their children go to school and so on, uh, I think uh, chances are that they will enlarge a nationalist perception rather than uh, a unionist perception. The other aspect of it is that people say, well, look at the young people. Uh, they're going to be different, they've had a different education perhaps, they've had different experiences and I think that is true to a certain extent but I go back to the drumbeat and when it comes to the drumbeat as we saw in the last two elections, very disappointingly people do seem to go back into their own uh, into their own communities And is there no way we can break out of that and move forward to achieve consensus between people of different backgrounds? I I think I, I, I would be very optimistic but uh, I think it, uh, it comes from the two communities at all levels, uh, meeting each other, getting to know each other, and working together. Uh, again, I, I have purposely emphasized the geographical change. Part of that geographical change was the expansion of the Catholic middle class. But it didn't only expand socially, it expanded geographically. And as it expands geographically, the Protestant middle class has pulled away from it. And, uh, I know in my own area in Newry and uh, one point, or Strever, that uh, the Protestant population in Newry remember the 1969 civil rights march and the civil rights attempt to march into the Protestant area, which is ironic when you consider from Cree at the moment. Uh, but that Protestant community has largely gone. It used, for 100 years it was 25-30% in Uri and now it's down to less than 5% of the high school. is really no longer feasible as a state a Protestant uh, school. Uh, So those changes uh, are taking place within Belfast. uh, The Malone Road, uh, Catholics in 1947 went to university. I'm not sure if the statistic. I think was Gerard Dean uh, said to me that uh, 80% of the people who go to university five years later are still within a few miles of that university. That is very, very clear in Belfast. But as the Catholic middle class has expanded, the policy middle class has pulled back towards Rimbaud. Uh, we see it along West Belfast, as West Belfast has moved over the motorway and towards the Lisbon Road. The border has, uh, between the two communities has gone, uh, has gone with it. And I think these are demographic and geographic realities that the future has to uh, recognise, but maybe also embrace and deal with. So how do we move towards a
2: more shared and integrated society?
0: Uh, I think that uh, talking to each other, uh, looking, uh, I can talk from my own perspective. Uh, One of the things that we've been trying to do in the Darcy McGee Foundation is to use history uh, as an aid to reconciliation rather than as something that is to be fought over. Uh, One of the things we try to do in the Thomas Darcy McGee Foundation is to identify myths and to challenge those myths uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, I was delighted that, uh, in our own area, uh, the Reformed Presbyterian Church, the Non-Subscribing Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Church, and the Church of Ireland, uh, within the Newry district, all embraced the story of John Mitchell and Jenny Verner. Uh, we had exhibitions and lectures in their various uh, churches. Uh, they were well aware, of course, that he was a physical force Irish Republican. But the love story between him and Jenny is, I think, one of the most powerful love stories ever. Unfortunately, seeping right through it is their mutual support of slavery. So that openness about history, I think, uh, is part of it. Uh, I was involved in the uh, 1798 commemorations in Uri and again, the fact that the Catholics recognised that Father Murphy didn't lead the thing at all, and that in the north it was really about the rights of man and merchant rights, uh, and taking that on board. I think there's great hope uh, in that. At the moment we're working within the Newry area uh, on the uh, impact of the Great Famine. Uh, we had the National Famine Commemoration come to uh, the town. Uh, the story of that is that I was getting very little traction with the local council. Uh, I found myself talking to Jim Wells, I asked to meet him in the, uh, in the canal court in Newry. I didn't know Jim, Jim didn't know me. We sat down, uh, and his opening shot was, uh, what do you want, I said? I want you to support the National Famine commemoration Committee, to Newry. And Jim laughed, and he says, well, he says two things. One is, what's this national bit? I said, well, you know, it was one nation then. Uh, There was no border then. And he said, well, he says, but uh, you have to remember, he says, if you look at all our orange banners, every nasty thing that has ever happened to us is on the orange banner. Now you show me the famine i said that's interesting jim but did you know that in logol the presbyterians were selling their bibles for food at the height of the famine? he says i didn't know that and i had two of the hardest hours i've ever had and i've repeated this to other people uh, talking to jim but at the end of it jim says okay he says i'm still not fully convinced but i am prepared to write to the Sinn fein minister she was then carol uh, and asked that the National Famine Commemoration uh, come to Newry. And Danny Kennedy uh, did the same. And I think there's great hope in that. And people looking at history, that was the 1788 rebellion, the Great Famine, uh, John Mitchell, uh, and an openness to look at history and to learn from history. And does that re-examination of history also
2: include trying to provide a a greater understanding of the relationship between Presbyterians and Catholics historically and how, in many cases within Irish history, they were allies rather than in conflict with each other. Very
0: much so, and I think that's one of the great values of uh, of the 1788 commemoration, the uh, very strong identification of the rights of man. And from my Catholic perspective, (laughs) uh, approaching it to realise that our social democracy actually starts with King William. And comes through the French Revolution, the American Revolution, uh, through to where we are at the moment. So I would uh, now uh, trace our social democracy back to the Battle of the Boyne and realise that probably the Catholics, for ethnic reasons, were on the wrong side at the, uh, at the Battle of the Boyne. James was a dictator. Uh, and as we've seen, when you have a Catholic state, a la de Valera, sometimes it's not a very attractive place at all. Mm-hmm. So, it, And this is already happening, of course, within Ireland.
2: It also means that the Irish state needs to give greater recognition to the role of Presbyterians and other... Um, Protestant faith within the creation of Ireland and in terms of the role of Irish Protestants in
0: developing ideas around the world? Oh, well, there's, there's no doubt about that and again, unfortunately, Daniel O'Connell of course, sits there in uh, O'Connell Street and every time I pass there's always a seagull doing despicable things on his head uh, and obviously he's a great liberator and so on and so forth and he did bring Catholic emancipation but there's definitely a downside to it in the alienation of the Protestant, particularly the Presbyterian uh, community uh, De Valera's dreary republic uh, and its close association with the Catholic Church obviously excluded Presbyterians to a large extent and in so doing uh, all the contributions that you have uh, that you have referred to so I think it's a much better Ireland a much stronger Ireland when we realise that uh, the two communities have produced the societies that we now live in
2: now, looking not so much at that level of past, but more recent past, the legacy of the Troubles, how do we deal with that in ways that are non-confrontational and that actually can heal rather than
0: make things worse? That's a, I, I, as you know, they, we've just had the news that one of the Bloody Sunday soldiers, paratroopers, has to be prosecuted today, and that's a very, 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 very difficult one. Uh, I, 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 must, I don't really have an answer to it. Uh, the sort of work that the playhouse is involved in, uh, looking at uh, victimhood through drama and so on, is obviously very, very important work. Uh, I suppose uh, it sounds a bit lib, but maybe one way is for—I shouldn't feel like to talk about you no know, hierarchy of victims—and there's an element of truth uh, in that. But I think there's a greater truth in the fact that both communities have victims and victims have an awful lot in common uh, with the loss. Uh, that they've suffered, and only with the loss that they've suffered, but trying to find out what happened to their uh, their loved ones. Uh, collusion, of course, has uh, happened, but it's also a political term. And uh, what do you say to the the, the children uh, who are the victims, whose parents were the victims of IRA violence and so on? Uh, so, getting truth and allowing victims to, to come to terms with happening them is very, very difficult because you really have two power blocks which are not really interested in releasing information.
2: But what you're saying, if I understand it correctly, is that part of the process should be to enable people who are themselves victims or whose families have been uh, victims of the troubles, should recognise the commonality of their experiences and recognise that rather more than perceive themselves as being the victims of one particular side or the other, not least because you have Catholics that were murdered by the IRA and Protestants that were murdered by UVF and UDA. So in a sense, it doesn't have to be divided up on the basis of religion or community
0: identification. I think so. Yes, I I would certainly agree with that. But again, going back to a divided society, that's a very difficult thing to to achieve. And I think you have to recognise that there is an element of uh, victims saying, well, it was the other side that done it to me, and yes. therefore they are my enemy. Yes. They're my natural enemies, and that's a difficult one uh, to get over.
2: I was at an event recently where um, school pupils were there, and they said that the experience they had where they were listening to people who had lost limbs through troubled bombs in particular was that they wished that history in school had been taught less about political history and more about the stories of the individuals that had lost their lives, that had lost their limbs and so on, so that they had greater sense of empathy with the events of the Troubles. Do you think there's, a, there's something in that?
0: There is, uh, again, uh, history teaching has to take the overarching view and history teaching has to take you through the events and so on. Uh, much more fully aware now than we ever were in the past, that of course history is open to interpretation, but that, the the idea of storytelling is is very, very powerful, Uh, and uh, Stalin was right that a million people is just a uh, statistic, people pay much more attention to one person's story, and teaching history, I think, is now learning that. Mm. so more uh, person-focused uh, story yes, yeah, telling. Yeah, and it's very, very hard not to have empathy with any victim when you hear their stories. And I think one of the strengths of the Playhouse and their work is that there is a variety of victims and you realise that that story is just as tragic as that story and you can identify with uh, But I think, again, when you go... I remember when I was doing a level uh, English one, big brother McGee, God bless him, would say we must always be aware of the difference between sentiment and sentimentality. And he said far too many people uh, identify with causes through sentimentality rather than the sentiment. And with, I think, with the whole situation of victims, those of us who aren't involved and who aren't victims, and trying to tell victims what they should feel and what they should do, we're in the area of sentimentality rather than sentiment. And I think that's a bad thing and that's a dangerous thing. Now,
2: to what extent can we achieve reconciliation through looking at the past? Uh,
0: by, by meeting, by sharing, you can't have reconciliation if you're standing on either side of the street. You can't have reconciliation if you're living in different areas and don't talk to each other. Uh, so, a purposeful meeting together. Uh, again, when I was a teacher many, many years ago, we had education and mutual understanding, which I think had very really limited success. And one of reason the reasons limited success was we thought that if we take class A and class B and put them together for an hour, uh, something might happen. Absolutely nothing happened, uh, in my opinion. So we have to find areas, uh, physical areas and social areas, maybe even online areas, where the two communities are integrating purposefully. Uh, that it would happen naturally is better. The fact that you work with someone, you teach with someone, you study with someone. Uh, you play football with someone, uh, you have a common interest in butterflies with someone. I think that's much more powerful than asking two people to sit together for an hour.
2: And again, going back to the fact that I was at an event uh, organised by WAVE uh, a few days ago, and the people who were there didn't give their surnames, didn't say who's BOMB that they had suffered awful injuries from. They just told their stories and you understood that one person yeah. was from a, one background, one person was from another background. We didn't know who was yeah. who. Is, is that helpful as well, perhaps?
0: It is, but it's, uh, initially it's helpful. But if you're, uh, it's almost deceitful, a way to approach honesty. It's a paradox, perhaps. But if you're hiding who you are, then you're not being honest. And if you're hiding what you are, then you're not being honest. Uh, I think if we, if we look at the Orange Order in Canada, for example, the Orange Order was very, very powerful, almost all powerful uh, in Toronto particularly. Uh, and now the order is a few hundred people straggling down downtown Toronto with black faces, white faces, and yellow faces looking at them and wondering who and what they are. Uh, as Canadian society, society expanded and developed, then the need for the Orange Order as an ethnic defence group, a social group, uh, disappeared. And going back probably to the very origins of, of this uh, conversation, uh, is Canada a model for the North of Ireland and for Ireland? Uh, probably not. But there are elements of the Canadian experience which I think that we can learn from. Uh, our two communities are not going to disappear into a secular community the way that Orangeism did in Canada. But things happen in Canada, I think, that can inform us as we move forward. Such as? Uh, well, uh, the, uh, the reason for the Orange Order being so powerful was its social and its political clout, and people identified with it because they were going to get... Uh, they were going to get something out of it. As that uh, power faded, then the Orange Order faded with it. Uh, in our context, that will, that, I think that is happening. Uh, if you talk to Orange men, uh, they'll tell you, you know, why are you afraid of us? Because all we are is a few uh, aging parade planners uh, sitting around drinking tea in an orange hall, uh, no longer afraid of the door being kicked open and somebody opening up with a machine gun on us. Uh, so that social and economic element of the order uh, isn't there anymore. They you know, the, the shipyards, they claim the shipping mills, uh, the, show, uh, the uh, linen mills, but uh, the need for that ethnic identity is still there. So I think the Canadian experience is that, and one aspect of it, uh, the reason that we look over the fence at each other economically and politically is diminishing Uh, our identification with ethnicity is still there, and probably will still be there until we have managed to sort out our our macro problems. So is there a way
2: that we can make it uh, less dangerous to have that
0: ethnic recognition? Oh, of course there is. Uh, Political institutions are... uh, The realisation that uh, violence has not worked. Uh, Violence gave us 30 years of terror, and what what did we get? Uh, what did we get out of it? Uh, the, uh, the IRA came to recognise that. The British government came to recognise that. Uh, and we we had a generation with uh, John Hume and David Trimble and so on, and Gerry Adams, and who uh, recognised we're not going back there. That failed, there has to be another way forward. One of the dangers, of course, is that the generation that doesn't remember that, and that quite possibly might want to go. Uh, back to it and I come back again to don't underestimate the power of of ethnicity particularly where each group feels that they have to protect uh, their own little rose with thorns. And also the
2: power of the story because if people are given a particularly partial unrepresentative version of what's gone before especially if they're too young to know what actually happened then that breeds Future violence. And it does, conflict.
0: and again, that's I think where the, the victims actually become a very positive thing because the more they get the chance to tell their stories, and the more young people seem to realise that well, that happened, X, but that also happened, why? Yes. Uh, I think that's uh, very, very important. Unfortunately, uh, it's a much, much better island we live in. Uh, we do uh, even socially. Uh, we have our problems. But everybody's has running water, well not everybody, but the uh, the vast majority of running water have a house, have a home, uh, have a job of some description. Uh, So on that uh, point it's a much, much better Ireland uh, we live in. Uh, But we're still a divided divided community. Now if the past is one difficult
2: conversation, the other really difficult conversation that has to be had at various times is the constitutional question. So how do we have that conversation in ways that isn't threatening?
0: Uh, I think by looking at how we got here, and again, uh, I'm an historical geographer, by going back and seeing where all of this came from, by analysing the past uh, in the ways that we have been talking about earlier and not moving forward on myth, uh, by being prepared to realise that my community actually thought that at one stage. I never realised my community was a Republican community. Uh, I didn't realise that my community actually did put people in the barn and burn it. Uh, f- facing, up to, uh, f- facing up to the past, uh, I think also the demographics and the geography have to be uh, taken into account. Uh, if I was a unionist, I wouldn't be a happy person uh, because uh, I've, seen, I've seen my power block go, I've seen my industrial base go, uh, I've seen the other community get uh, bigger and more prosperous. Uh, I've seen my children leave and not come back. Uh, I've seen uh, that the whole area, actually the area of the plantation, the outer counties, uh, we're losing them. Uh, and uh, I th- think that, the, the, as I said, as unions, I would, I would have that fear. Uh, in terms of the constitutional question, uh, the, what's going to come from that is we are going to have a, a, a nationalist majority. We're going to have a Republican majority. We keep voting the way we're going, then it's going to be Sinn Féin. If I was a Unionist, and I think Brian Feeney was talking about this in the Irish News the other day, uh, maybe originally I would have thought, well, no, we'll hold on to Northern Ireland and we'll have an accommodation within Northern Ireland. Uh, that's possible. But if things go the way they're going, the Stormont will become a Sinn Féin or a Nationalist uh, Assembly. And the Unionist community will be a permanent minority, not only in Ireland, but within a Nationalist uh, assembly in the north. Uh, Feeney was talking about this, and I think he's right that maybe the future is to recognise that within uh, an all-Ireland situation and unions sitting in the Doyle, they're probably in permanent government and a more power mm-hmm. that way than they ever would have. Uh, being the, the minor partners in a Sinn Féin or uh, nationalist, uh, of oil type uh,
2: storm. That's, that's a point that Mark Durkin has made as well, yeah. that actually unionists within the Doyle will be on a permanent basis more influential than unionists will in normal circumstances yeah. within the UK yeah. Parliament, yeah. Yeah. for example.
1: Okay. That was your chat with Anthony there, Paul. It talks about something that's come up with a few other people as well and other interviews around changes in the demography and I suppose the, the geographical layout of this place.
2: Yeah, and, and he instanced the, the Lisburn Road in, in Belfast where he's saying, well, you know, I suppose what Anthony is saying, and he doesn't put, put it in these terms, is that we, we focus a lot on the uh, the, the areas where, the, you know, there's a lack of settled recognition of, uh, of areas mm. and, and the fact that attempts to create these new shared housing areas tend to be on, on lines of division and haven't settled very well always. But the point he's making is that in some places... Actually, you know, things have changed in a very settled way, a very amicable way, uh, where you actually do have mixed communities. And,
1: you know, we need to perhaps look at the the positive examples, not simply be aware of where there are difficulties. Okay. Given Anthony's own interests, he talks about stories, stories from the past Hmm. as a tool for reconciliation as well. And I think that is
2: really very interesting. And it's something that we'll hear about in some of the later interviews about how we reflect on past events. Uh, And Anthony's talking about, you know, some of the the, the long distant past events. Mm. And and I think it's a really interesting approach to actually, you know, to think more about our history and to learn more from our history and to recognize some of the commonalities of experience, not just those doing the troubles, but over, um, you know, centuries.
1: Yeah, okay. It has a conversation about the, the Orange Order and a context, I suppose, that we wouldn't normally hear as well. That's right.
2: Anthony's got a uh, close connections with Canada and he knows quite a lot about Canada. And he's making the point that the Orange Order in Canada is very different from the Orange Order in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. It's no longer particularly religiously focused and it's certainly not ethnically focused. You know, it is a, multi, uh, a multicultural Orange Order Aye. in Canada. And perhaps that's an interesting way for us to see the loyal orders here as well. Okay.
1: well, thanks for that, Paul. That's that for this episode of the Forward Together podcast. Keep an eye out for future episodes through hollywellsross.com and com. Thanks again to Anthony for taking the time to meet with Paul and to Dee Kern and Emer Doherty for production support. Thanks for listening.
0: Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.